Good morning, everybody. My name is Jacob Parnell. I am the preaching minister here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. We are in a series uh, going through the life of David and just looking at some snapshots. David, the heart of the king, this uh, man after God's own heart who had some successes, but he also had some struggles. We talked last week about how David is a character that we can definitely relate to, somebody who we, we see ourselves in. We want to please, we want to honor God, and we get it right some of the time, but not all of the time. Uh, today we're going to look at a story where David does a pretty good job, though not too much turmoil in his life at this point. But the story of David and Goliath is one that's familiar to a lot of people. This is an iconic story. You don't have to have read the Bible to know what happens in the story of David and Goliath, or know who Goliath is and what David did. It's a memorable story. It's rousing. It's inspiring. My guess is you probably heard the story before. And so with that in mind, there's a lot of different ways that you can teach this story. There's a lot of different angles that you can come at it from. Uh, if we were studying this story in our 9 a.m. men's Bible class and the teacher was sick that morning and said, oh, you know what, I, I just can't be there last minute. One of you guys is going to have to teach the story. I don't think that Clyde or Dave or Dan or Rod or anybody in the room for that matter would have any trouble coming up with a lesson about David and Goliath just on the spot. There's so many truths that you can pluck from there. It's such a teachable story. There's a lot of different ways you can go with it. One angle that you might choose is the, uh, the angle that skill and smarts beats out brute strength. And uh, in that lesson, somebody might quote the phrase, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That'd be a good lesson. I think that could play on a Sunday morning. Another lesson that you might focus on is uh, kind of what Doug referenced earlier, David rejecting the king's armor. King Saul says, okay, if you're going to go up against this giant, you're going to need a breastplate and a helmet and a big sword and to get him outfitted with all this stuff and he can barely move. And he says, you know what, I'm just going to do it my way. And there's a lesson there about being properly equipped. And I think people would hear that lesson and go, hmm, I like that. I'm going to take that into my week. There's a lesson in this story about being courageous in the face of adversity. There's a note here, a, a lesson to be told about standing up to bullies. Somebody else might look at this story and point to David's training as a shepherd, something that he references a little later down in the story. And he talks about how I protected these sheep and I, I, I rescued them from the lion and the bear. And so I, I was prepared when it came to face Goliath. And you might make a lesson there about how your life experience shapes you. And people would be on board with that lesson, too. But this morning, I'm not going to make any of those points. I want to make a different point today. And as we read the story together, I want you to listen for the point that I want to make. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to have Justin come up here, and he's going to just, just read the story uh, of David and Goliath in the Valley of Elah that day from 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Justin's going to be reading this story. And when Justin gets to the point in the story of the point that I want to make today, the lesson that I think God has for us this morning, I'm going to stop him. I'm going to just be like, boom, stop in the middle, and I'll make the point. Does that sound good? Okay, so tune in with your ears. Justin's going to read this story. It's quite a few verses, so you're going to have to hang with him. Justin pointed out that, uh, to me that it just so happens that whenever I ask him to read a scripture, one, it's always really long, and two, there are always a lot of difficult names to pronounce place names and people names, all Old Testament stuff. I assured him it's not intentional. I'm not like 
just, I don't want to mess up these words. I'll let you mess them up. It's just a coincidence, but you are up for the task, and you'll do a great job. Absolutely. So read the story, and I will interrupt you when we get to the point. There we go. All right. First uh, Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to, his, to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they had... Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, sh shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. 
And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Not yet. <laughs> now, now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the, armors, the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord... Stop! That's it. Right there. Good job, Justin. Clap for Justin. Did you catch it? The lesson that we're going to mine from this text today all the way from the beginning of the chapter, all the way, 36, 37 verses. After, nine, after 17 names of people and places, nine independent dialogues between people deciding what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, it takes us all the way to verse 37 when we first hear the name of the Lord. It took all that time and all that drama and all that explanation and all that story. And then finally, at the beginning of verse 37, on the lips of David, you get Yahweh. Nobody had thought about it until then. All these people in the valley, including Saul, Israel's king, are trying to figure out what they're going to do against this gigantic threat. But it takes 37 verses before somebody finally remembers the name of the Lord. And that's the point that I want to focus on this morning. David remembers the name of the Lord when nobody else does. He goes down and he faces Goliath. He gives this little speech. This is a, a couple of verses after where we stopped Justin. He uses the name of the Lord four times in what he says to him. Remember, in an environment in the midst of everybody else forgetting to do so or disregarding it. Look at this. And uh, still in chapter 17... We're going to go to verses 45 through 47. David is down there. And David says to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Yikes. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I'm thankful that 
Andrew didn't do that to me earlier. And he goes on and says the name of the Lord two more times. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David remembers. This is a great example for us and a great reminder for us to take the name of the Lord with us. But how often do we forget it? How often are we like the Philistines and we neglect to call on the Lord because we are too busy trusting in our own strength? How often are we like the Israelites in the valley of Elah and we forget about the Lord because we're paralyzed by worry and fear? And you might say, legitimately so. They were concerned about their way of life, of being taken over by the Philistines. There was a serious threat among them, and in our lives as well, there are serious threats and things that are more worrying, worth worrying about than other things. But in this account, David comes along and he reveals something that is overlooked by everybody else. His dad didn't think about it. His brothers didn't mention the name of the Lord. His enemies certainly wouldn't have done it. And even his king, they all forgot something that David remembered and reminded them of, and that is the Lord is with us. The Lord is not far away, and we are not standing on this battlefield alone. This is a powerful thing. It doesn't just, it's not just like, oh yeah, there's that reminder, we should have been doing that. It kind of changes the atmosphere. And if we continue on in verse 37, after where I cut off Justin, and by the way, great job reading that. Justin, thanks for helping me out there. Look at what verse 37 says. David's talking and he says, the Lord, remember the first time Yahweh is mentioned in this story so far. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And watch what happens when he makes that declaration. Look what Saul says next. Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. David remembers the name of the Lord and Saul remembers the name of the Lord. And suddenly it's like the spell is broken and people go, oh yeah, we're not alone. It's not hopeless. We have God with us in this situation. It's a simple thing when somebody does that, but it's a powerful thing in the way that it impacts people around us. Something that I want us to think about in our lives this morning. Hand in the pocket means story time, so here comes a story about when I was in seventh grade. I was on a little league baseball team, and about midway through the, the baseball season, our head coach got kicked out of the league because he was screaming at umpires and you know, throwing things, and he was, he was kind of a, a wild man. Uh, on the field, and so everybody said, Let's, you're not going to be the coach anymore. You're not even allowed on the field. So uh, midway through the season, we got a new baseball coach. And our new baseball coach's name was Dave Savage, and I remember when our first practice with Dave, he said to us as we were kind of warming up and he was introducing himself, one of the things that he said that stuck with me was, now I, I want you guys to know that I'm a Christian and I'm not ashamed to admit it, but because of that, I don't want to hear any bad language out here. I don't want you guys to strike out and go throw your helmets in the dugout. We're not going to behave like that. I don't want to see any unsportsmanlike conduct. And that stuck with me. That was surprising. That was the kind of talk that I didn't hear very often outside of church. He was saying that it's more important, uh, more important than whether or not we win games is our character and how we behave when we play baseball. And apparently Dave's definition of character had been formed by his relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to know this wasn't like a big speech. He wasn't like, gather around and I'm going to preach at you guys. It wasn't a sermon. It was just who he was. It was him saying, like, this is how things are going to be. And that's how things were for the rest of the season. But this is kind of a, a passing comment about his faith 
changed the atmosphere of the rest of our baseball season and how the rest of our team behaved in the dugout and on the field. It was powerful. Naming something does that. It has a powerful effect. Psychologists and counselors often talk about how important it is to name something. More important than just identifying what's going on inside or even just writing it down, but saying it out loud has this powerful effect because it brings something out of the darkness and into the light of what's really going on. It reveals something that's already there. Those of you who joined us this past January at our Love Heals seminar, you got to hear Terry and Sharon Hargrave talk about the power of a simple statement like, I feel unappreciated. Or the power of a statement like, I feel unsafe. And we have these kinds of feelings sometimes, and typically, we change our behavior because of them. They can cause us to become moody or critical or distant from the people we love, leaving them going, what's going on? We don't really know what's happening. But when you bring what's going on in here out into the light, that can change things. That can let them know what's really going on. In the same way, David reveals to all of those in the valley that day what was really going on, what David could see that the rest of them were blind to. And that was that the God who rescued David from the lion and the bear would rescue him from the blaspheming Philistine as well. For us, when we hear this message, it's a reminder that the Christ who promised to never leave us or never forsake us is present and is at work. Even when we forget it, even when we feel like we don't need it, or even when we don't know exactly how he's present or what in the world he's doing. It's a simple reminder for us to say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Naming the Lord reminds us that our trust is in the Lord. Jesus speaks about the importance of staying connected to him. In John chapter 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I want to read you a few more of what Jesus says in this passage right here. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you forget the name of the Lord, if you forget to trust in the Lord, then the battle is already lost. There's a couple temptations when we see this David passage or we listen to these words of Jesus, and I want to identify those because naming something brings it out into the open. There's a temptation to hear David saying, God will give me this victory. I know the name of the Lord, therefore I invoke the name of the Lord. There's a temptation for us to go, okay, so if only we invoke the name of the Lord, then... It's a magic formula for success in everything that we do. That's not true, in my experience. Can anybody else attest to that, that that's not the way it works? Okay, I'm not alone here. There's another temptation when we read John 15 to hear Jesus saying, 
ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That sounds pretty nice, right? We hear that sometimes and we think it's like finding a magic lamp. And the magic lamp has a magic genie inside. And that genie looks a little bit like Will Smith. Um, there it is. <laughs> I don't think that's the point. I think the point is more that finding God is the treasure and the victory rather than a means to get the things that we think we need. And we need to be careful how we use the name of the Lord while we're remembering not to forget the name of the Lord. So let's go back to David and Goliath now. Because we started our way down chapter 17. We started this story. And there's a third temptation. There's a temptation to draw all sorts of different points out of this story that have nothing to do with God. You can make points and say, wow, wasn't David lucky? That sure worked out well for him. Or, wow, wasn't David brave? Or look at that David. He was so smart. He was resourceful. He was well prepared. If we draw those kinds of lessons out of the story, I don't think it does justice to the text. And I think if David were hearing that kind of message coming from this story, he would simply say, that's not what happened that day. It's not because I was well prepared. It's not because I was smart. It's not because I was clever. The victory that day was the Lord's. I think David would say, all I did was trust in God. We need to be aware of this temptation because we can do this same thing in our own lives. Sometimes our stories of success or our strategies for success can emphasize how brave we are or how lucky we are or how smart we are or well-prepared or resourceful. And we may even pray to God sometimes, God, give me these things. I need these things so that I can be successful. Give me luck. Give me smarts. Give me resources. Give me courage. And we're getting warmer, but we're still not quite where we need to be. When we realize that God is our strength, God is our courage, our hope, our victory, our best resource, God is our everything, then we've learned the lesson that this story has to teach us. And with that in mind, I'm not going to tell you how the story ends. We are not going to read the rest of 1 Samuel 17. And I know that's going to kill some of you guys to go, Jacob, i got to know how this story ends. What does David do? What becomes of Goliath? Well, you can go read it on your own. I have a feeling you may already know how the story goes. But we're going to leave it at this point, this point that I want you to take with you, and that's to remember the Lord Remember to take the Lord into your life. Don't forget about the Lord. And like David and his impact on Saul, be the one who reminds others about the presence of the Lord. Kind of like my baseball coach, Dave Savage, did. One word from you about the presence of the Lord, one reminder that we trust in the Lord can go a long way. Besides David and Dave Savage, Justin's good at this. My buddy Justin over here, we spend a lot of time here in the church office or riding in his minivan or drinking coffee, and we have a lot of conversations. And honestly, I can sometimes tend to go into gripe mode. And uh, you guys might think, what do you have to gripe about? And the answer is, usually I'm griping about you. <laughs> I'm griping about the church. Something isn't the way I want it. Why can't these people do everything I need them to do? And Justin like the wise old sage, just kind of takes it in. But always at just the right time, and he does this enough times that I've noticed, he'll say, hmm, let's pray about that. And I go, ah, it's like the spell is broken. I wake up to the realization that, ah, 
We're ministers of Jesus Christ. We're not trying to, to, to be CEOs of anything. I don't need to be in control of everything. And we pray. We pray on the spot. He's a great prayer partner. He's a good prayer leader. And he reads good Old Testament scripture on top of that. But it's a good reminder for me. I want to be a good reminder for others. And with that in mind, let's pray. Be with us, Lord. We cannot live without you. We dare not try to take one step alone. We cannot bear the loads of life unaided. We need your strength to lean ourselves upon. God, we believe that you are here. We believe that you are with us in church and outside of church. You are with us in our joys and our celebrations, and you are with us in our pain, in our struggles, in our anxieties, in our uncertainties. Thank you for this example of David to take your name wherever he goes, whatever thing he faces. I pray that we can follow that example, that we can increase our trust in you, that we can be reminded daily how you love us, how you work in our lives, and the promises that you have given us through Jesus Christ. We're so thankful this morning for that, Lord. We love you. We declare our love. We give you our praise. And we ask that you will take every step with us as we go from here. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's pretty much it. But last week, I said, as we go through the life of David, we're going to take a psalm each week. And at the end of each message, I'm going to give you a psalm that I want you to take with you. This is one way that you can remember the name of the Lord. Is that, and that's by reading this psalm. Maybe it's every morning or every, every time that you make for dwelling in the psalm, I want you to read this. I want you to think about it. And then at the end of the week, or, or whenever it works out for you, is when you've read it enough, I want you to write a prayer to God, kind of reflecting the language that's used in that psalm. Last week I sent you off and I said, I want you to read and then write a prayer based on Psalm 131. And a lot of you guys did that. And I can tell you later when we have more time, ask me about it. We had a really powerful encounter doing that in my family this Friday evening after a pretty stressful week with a lot of screaming from a wonderful new baby of ours. <laughs> we, we needed it. We had this awesome prayer time. We wrote out our prayers to God. We expressed what was on our hearts. And a lot of the stuff that was in here got brought out into the open as we gathered around to give God praise. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. Um, some of the people who read through Psalm 131, they wrote down their prayers and they shared them with me. And I posted them on the wall of the foyer back there. It says, Praying Psalm 131. You might take a look at those before you leave today. If you yourself have written a prayer and you want to hang it up there to join in with the others, you can hang it there. We'll leave it up all week. But this week, we want you to go into a different psalm. And this one reflects... David's example of having the name of the Lord on your lips. This is Psalm 34. Uh, I want you to read this throughout your week. I want you to write a prayer. And then when you're here on Wednesday, you're here on Thursday, or if you show up next Sunday, we want you to post it on the wall if you're willing to do that. Share this psalm. I'm going to close out today by reading Psalm 34. While I read this, I want to invite the praise team to come on back up here and prepare to lead us in our uh, last couple songs this morning. But listen to these words of trust and of praise and a request to be reminded of the name of the Lord. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. 
I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. 